Chapter Seven of Red Nails by Robert E. Howard. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Seven. He comes from the dark. Well, I'm a Cushite. Conan glared down at the man on the iron rack. What the devil are you doing on that thing? Incoherent sounds issued from behind the gag, and Conan bent and tore it away, evoking a bellow of fear from the captive, for his action caused the iron ball to lurch down until it nearly touched the broad breast. "'Be careful for Seth's sake,' begged Olmec. "'What for?' demanded Conan. "'Do you think I care what happens to you?' I only wish I had time to stay here and watch that chunk of iron grind your guts out. But I'm in a hurry. Where is Valeria? Loose me, urged Olmec. I will tell you all. Tell me first. Never. The prince's heavy jaws set stubbornly. All right. Conan seated himself on a nearby bench. I'll find her myself, after you've been reduced to a jelly. I believe I can speed up that process by twisting my sword-point around in your ear," he added, extending the weapon experimentally. "'Wait!' words came in a rush from the captive's ashen lips. "'Tessella took her from me. I've never been anything but a puppet in Tessella's hands.' "'Tessella?' snorted Conan, and spat. "'Why, the filthy—' "'No, no!' panted Olmec. "'It's—' Worse than you think. Tessella is old, centuries old. She renews her life and her youth by sacrifice of beautiful young women. That's one thing that has reduced the clan to its present state. She will draw the essence of Valeria's life into her own body and bloom with fresh vigor and beauty. Are the doors locked? asked Conan, thumbing his sword edge. Aye, uh, but I know a way to get into Tecuhlfi. Only Tassella and I know, and she thinks me helpless, and you slain. Free me, and I swear I will help you rescue Valeria. Without my help you cannot win into Tecolthi, for even if you tortured me into revealing the secret, you couldn't work it. Let me go, and we will steal on Tassella and kill her before she can work magic, before she can fix her eyes on us. A knife thrown from behind will do the work. I should have killed her thus long ago, but I feared that without her to aid us the Zotalanks would overcome us. She needed my help, too. That is the only reason she let me live this long. Now neither needs the other, and one must die. I swear that when we have slain the witch, you and Valeria shall go free without harm. My people will obey me when Tassela is dead. Conan stooped and cut the ropes that held the prince, and Olmec slid cautiously from under the great ball and rose, shaking his head like a bull and muttering imprecations as he fingered his lacerated scalp. Standing shoulder to shoulder, the two men presented a formidable picture of primitive power. Olmec was as tall as Conan and heavier, but there was something repellent about the Tazlitzian something abysmal and monstrous that contrasted unfavorably with the clean-cut, compact hardness of the Cimmerian. Conan had discarded the remnants of his tattered, blood-soaked shirt, 
and stood with his remarkable muscular development impressively revealed. His great shoulders were as broad as those of Olmec, and more cleanly outlined, and his huge breast arced with more impressive sweep to a hard waist that lacked the paunchy thickness of Olmec's midsection. He might have been an image of primal strength cut out of bronze. Olmec was darker, but not from the burning sun. If Conan was a figure out of the dawn of time, Olmec was a shambling, somber shape from the darkness of time's pre-dawn. "'Lead on,' demanded Conan, "'and keep ahead of me. I don't trust you any farther than I can throw a bull by the tail.' Olmec turned and stalked on ahead of him, one hand twitching slightly as it plucked at his matted beard. Olmec did not lead Conan back to the bronze door, which the prince naturally supposed Sella had locked, but to a certain chamber on the border of Tecolthi. "'This secret has been guarded for half a century,' he said. "'Not even our own clan knew of it, and the Zotolankans never learned. Tecolthi himself built this secret entrance, afterwards slaying the slaves who did the work.' for he feared that he might find himself locked out of his own kingdom some day because of the spite of Tassella, whose passion for him soon changed to hate. But she discovered the secret, and barred the inner door against him one day as he fled back from an unsuccessful raid, and the Sotolanks took him and flayed him. But once spying on her, I saw her enter Tecolthi by this route, and so learned the secret. He pressed upon a gold ornament in the wall, and a panel swung inward, disclosing an ivory stair leading upward. "'This stair is built within the wall,' said Olmec. "'It leads up to a tower under the roof, and thence other stairs wind down to the various chambers. Hasten!' "'After you, comrade,' retorted Conan, satirically, swaying his broad sword as he spoke and Olmec shrugged his shoulders and stepped on to the staircase. Conan instantly followed him, and the door shut behind them. Far above a cluster of fire-jewels made the staircase a well of dusky dragon-light. They mounted until Conan estimated that they were above the level of the fourth floor, and then came out into a cylindrical tower, in the domed roof of which was set the bunch of fire-jewels that lighted the stair. Through gold-barred windows, set with unbreakable crystal panes, the first windows he had seen in Zuccotl, Conan got a glimpse of high ridges, domes, and more towers, looming darkly against the stars. He was looking across the roofs of Zuccotl. Olmec did not look through the windows. He hurried down one of the several stairs that wound down from the tower, and when they had descended a few feet, this stair changed into a narrow corridor that wound tortuously on for some distance. It ceased at a steep flight of steps leading downward. There Olmec paused. Up from below, muffled but unmistakable, welled a woman's scream edged with fright, fury, and shame. And Conan recognized Valeria's voice. In the swift rage roused by that cry, and the amazement of wondering what peril could wring such a shriek from Valeria's reckless lips, Conan forgot Olmec. 
He pushed past the prince and started down the stair. Awakening instinct brought him about again just as Olmec struck with his great mallet-like fist. The blow, fierce and silent, was aimed at the base of Conan's brain, but the Cimmerian wheeled in time to receive the buffet on the side of his neck instead. The impact would have snapped the vertebrae of a lesser man. As it was, Conan swayed backward, but even as he reeled he dropped his sword, useless at such close quarters, and grasped Olmec's extended arm, dragging the prince with him as he fell. Headlong they went down the steps together, in a revolving whirl of limbs and heads and bodies. And as they went, Conan's iron fingers found and locked in Olmec's bull-throat. The barbarian's neck and shoulder felt numb from the sledge-like impact of Olmec's huge fist, which had carried all the strength of the massive forearm, thick triceps, and great shoulder. But they did not affect his ferocity to any appreciable extent. Like a bulldog, he hung on grimly, shaken and battered and beaten against the steps as they rolled, until at last they struck an ivory panel door at the bottom with such an impact that they splintered it down its full length and crashed through its ruins. But Olmec was already dead, for those iron fingers had crushed out his life and broken his neck as they fell. Conan rose, shaking the splinters from his great shoulder, blinking blood and dust out of his eyes. He was in the great throne room. There were fifteen people in that room besides himself. The first person he saw was Valeria. A curious black altar stood before the throne dais. Ranged about it, seven black candles in golden candlesticks sent up oozing spirals of thick green smoke, disturbingly scented. These spirals, united in a cloud near the ceiling, forming a smoky arch above the altar. On that altar lay Valeria, stark naked, her white flesh gleaming in shocking contrast to the glistening ebon stone. She was not bound. She lay at full length, her arms stretched out above her head to their fullest extent. At the head of the altar knelt a young man, holding her wrists firmly. A young woman knelt at the other end of the altar, grasping her ankles. Between them she could neither rise nor move. Eleven men and women of Tecolthi knelt dumbly in a semicircle, watching the scene with hot, lustful eyes. On the ivory throne seat, Tassella lolled. Bronze bowls of incense rolled their spirals about her. The wisps of smoke curled about her naked limbs like caressing fingers. She could not sit still. She squirmed and shifted about with sensuous abandon. She squirmed and shifted about with sensuous abandon, as if finding pleasure in the contact of the smooth ivory with her sleek flesh. The crash of the door as it broke beneath the impact of the hurtling bodies caused no change in the scene. The kneeling men and women merely glanced incuriously at the corpse of their prince, and at the man who rose from the ruins of the door, then swung their eyes greedily back to the writhing white shape on the black altar. Tassella looked insolently at him, and sprawled back on her seat, laughing mockingly. Slut! Conan saw red. His hands clenched into iron hammers as he started for her. 
With his first step, something clanged loudly, and steel bit savagely into his leg. He stumbled and almost fell, checked in his headlong stride. The jaws of an iron trap had closed on his leg, with teeth that sank deep and held. Only the ridged muscles of his calf saved the bone from being splintered. The accursed thing had sprung out of the smoldering floor without warning. He saw the slots now, in the floor where the jaws had lain, perfectly camouflaged. "'Fool!' laughed Tassella. "'Do you think I would not guard against your possible return? Every door in this chamber is guarded by such traps. Stand there and watch now.' while I fulfill the destiny of your handsome friend. Then I will decide your own. Conan's hand instinctively sought his belt, only to encounter an empty scabbard. His sword was on the stair behind him. His poniard was lying back in the forest, where the dragon had torn it from his jaw. The steel teeth in his leg were like burning coals, but the pain was not as savage as the fury that seethed in his soul. He was trapped like a wolf. If he had had his sword, he would have hewn off his leg and crawled across the floor to slay Tassella. Valeria's eyes rolled toward him with mute appeal, and his own helplessness sent red waves of madness surging through his brain. Dropping on the knee of his free leg, he strove to get his fingers between the jaws of the trap, to tear them apart by sheer strength. Blood started from beneath his fingernails, but the jaws fitted close about his leg in a circle whose segments joined perfectly, contracted until there was no space between his mangled flesh and the fanged iron. The sight of Valeria's naked body added flame to the fire of his rage. Tassella ignored him. Rising languidly from her seat, she swept the ranks of her subjects with a searching glance, and asked, "'Where are Zamek, Zaloth, and Tachik?' "'They did not return from the catacombs, princess,' answered a man. "'Like the rest of us, they bore the bodies of the slain into the crypts, but they have not returned. Perhaps the ghost of Tolkemec took them.' "'Be silent, fool,' she ordered harshly. "'The ghost is a myth.' She came down from her dais, playing with a thin, gold-hilted dagger. Her eyes burned like nothing on the hither side of hell. She paused beside the altar, and spoke in the tense stillness. "'Your life shall make me young, white woman,' she said. "'I shall lean upon your bosom, and place my lips over yours, and slowly, ah, slowly, sink this blade through your heart.' so that your life, fleeing your stiffening body, shall enter mine, making me bloom again with youth and with life everlasting. Slowly, like a serpent arching toward its victim, she bent down through the writhing smoke, closer and closer, over the now motionless woman who stared up into her glowing dark eyes, eyes that grew larger and deeper, blazing like black moons in the swirling smoke. The kneeling people gripped their hands and held their breath, tense for the bloody climax, and the only sound was Conan's fierce panting as he strove to tear his leg from the trap. 
All eyes were glued on the altar and the white figure there. The crash of a thunderbolt could hardly have broken the spell. Yet it was only a low cry that shattered the fixity of the scene and brought all whirling about. A low cry, yet one to make the hair stand up stiffly on the scalp. They looked, and they saw. Framed in the door to the left of the dais stood a nightmare figure. It was a man with a tangle of white hair and a matted white beard that fell over his breast. Rags only partly covered his gaunt frame, revealing half-naked limbs strangely unnatural in appearance. The skin was not like that of a normal human. There was a suggestion of scaliness about it, as if the owner had dwelt long under conditions almost antithetical to those conditions under which human life ordinarily thrives. And there was nothing at all human about the eyes that blazed from the tangle of white hair. They were great gleaming disks that stared unwinkingly, luminous, whitish, and without a hint of normal emotion or sanity. The mouth gaped, but no coherent words issued. Only a high-pitched tittering. Tolkemec, whispered Tassela, livid, while the others crouched in speechless horror. No myth, then, no ghost? Set, you have dwelt for twelve years in darkness, twelve years among the bones of the dead. What grisly food did you find? What mad travesty of life did you live in the stark blackness of that eternal night? I see now why Zamek and Zalanth and Tachik did not return from the catacombs, and never will return. But why have you waited so long to strike? Were you seeking something in the pits? Some secret weapon you knew was hidden there, and have you found it at last? That hideous tittering was Tolkemec's only reply, as he bounded into the room with a long leap that carried him over the secret trap before the door, by chance, or by some faint recollection of the ways of Zuccotl. He was not mad as a man is mad. He had dwelt apart from humanity so long that he was no longer human. Only an unbroken thread of memory, embodied in hate and the urge for vengeance, had connected him with the humanity from which he had been cut off, and held him lurking near the people he hated. Only that thin string had kept him from racing and prancing off forever into the black corridors and realms of the subterranean world he had discovered long ago. "'You sought something hidden,' whispered Tessela, cringing back. "'And you have found it. You remember the feud.' After all these years of blackness, you remember. Far in the lean hand of Tolkemec now waved a curious jade-hued wand, on the end of which glowed a knob of crimson shaped like a pomegranate. She sprang aside as he thrust it out like a spear, and a beam of crimson fire lanced from the pomegranate. It missed Tassela, but the woman holding Valeria's ankles was in the way. It smote between her shoulders. There was a sharp, crackling sound, and the ray of fire flashed from her bosom and struck the black altar with a snapping of blue sparks. 
the woman toppled sidewise, shriveling and withering like a mummy even as she fell. Valeria rolled from the altar on the other side and started for the opposite wall on all fours, for hell had burst loose in the throne room of dead Olmec. The man who had held Valeria's hands was the next to die. He turned to run, but before he had taken a half-dozen steps, Tolkemec, with an agility appalling in such a frame, bounded around to a position that placed the man between him and the altar. Again the red fire-beam flashed, and the Techolthi rolled lifeless to the floor as the beam completed its course with a burst of blue sparks against the altar. Then began slaughter. Screaming insanely, the people rushed about the chamber, carooming from one another, stumbling and falling, and among them Tolkemec capered and pranced, dealing death. They could not escape by the doors, for apparently the metal of the portals served, like the metal-veined stone altar, to complete the circuit for whatever hellish power flashed like thunderbolts from the witch-wand the ancient waved in his hand. When he caught a man or a woman between him and a door or the altar, that one died instantly. He chose no special victim. He took them as they came, with his rags flapping about his wildly gyrating limbs, and the gusty echoes of his tittering sweeping the room above the screams. And bodies fell like falling leaves about the altar and at the doors. One warrior in desperation rushed at him, lifting a dagger, only to fall before he could strike. But the rest were like crazed cattle, with no thought of resistance, and no chance of escape. The last Tecolthi, except Tassela, had fallen when the princess reached the Cimmerian and the girl who had taken refuge beside him. Tassela bent and touched the floor, pressing a design upon it. Instantly the iron jaws released the bleeding limb and sank back into the floor. "'Slay him if you can,' she panted, and pressed a heavy knife into his hand. "'I have no magic to withstand him.' With a grunt he sprang before the women, not heeding his lacerated leg in the heat of the fighting lust. Tolkemec was coming toward him, his weird eyes ablaze, but he hesitated at the gleam of the knife in Conan's hand. Then began a grim game— as Tolkemec sought to circle about Conan and get the barbarian between him and the altar or a metal door, while Conan sought to avoid this and drive home his knife, the women watched tensely, holding their breath. There was no sound except the rustle and scrape of quick shifting feet. Tolkemec pranced and capered no more. He realized that grimmer game confronted him than the people who had died screaming and fleeing. In the elemental blaze of the barbarian's eyes, he read an intent deadly as his own. Back and forth they weaved. When one moved, the other moved, as if invisible threads bound them together. But all the time, Conan was getting closer and closer to his enemy. Already the coiled muscles of his thighs were beginning to flex for a spring when Valeria cried out, for a fleeting instant a bronze door was in line with Conan's moving body. The red line leaped, searing Conan's flank as he twisted aside, and even as he shifted he hurled the knife. Old Tolkemec went down, truly slain at last, the hilt vibrating on his breast. 
Tassela sprang, not toward Conan, but toward the wand where it shimmered like a live thing on the floor. But as she leaped, so did Valeria, with a dagger snatched from a dead man, and the blade, driven with all the power of the pirate's muscles, impaled the princess of Tecluthi so that the point stood out between her breasts. Tassela screamed once and fell dead, and Valeria spurned the body with her heel as it fell. "'I had to do that much for my own self-respect,' panted Valeria, facing Conan across the limp corpse. "'Well, this cleans up the feud,' he grunted. "'It's been a hell of a night. Where did these people keep their food? I'm hungry.' You need a bandage on that leg. Valeria ripped a length of silk from a hanging, and knotted it about her waist, then tore off some smaller strips which she bound efficiently about the barbarian's lacerated limb. I can walk on it, he assured her. Let's be gone. It's dawn outside this infernal city. I've had enough of Zuccotl. It's well the breed exterminated itself. I don't want any of their cursed jewels. They might be haunted. There is enough clean loot in the world for you and me, she said, straightening to stand tall and splendid before him. The old blaze came back in his eyes, and this time she did not resist as he caught her fiercely in his arms. It's a long way to the coast, she said presently, withdrawing her lips from his. <laughs> what matter? he laughed. There's nothing we can't conquer. We'll have our feet on a ship's deck before the Stygians open their ports for the trading season. And then we'll show the world what plundering means. End of chapter 7 End of Red Nails by Robert E. Howard This book recorded by Phil Chenevere